Welcome to Keith Knight, Don't Tread on Anyone. Today we have James Corbett of the Corbett Report on to discuss proven conspiracies. CorbettReport.com is an independent listener-supported alternative news source, and he is the maker of my second favorite video on the entire internet, Debunking a Century of War Lies. James, thank you so much for coming on. Well, thank you for that, and thank you for giving the hat tip to that video. I think not, not enough people have seen it, so I hope a few more will check it out. Well, stay till the end. I'm going to list you my 10 favorite James Corbett greatest hits. All right. Uh, so, James, before we get into conspiracies, what is a conspiracy and what is a conspiracy theory? Yeah, well, this should be a pretty straightforward question to answer, shouldn't it? Because if you go to the handy dandy trusty guide to everything Google and say, oh, great Google, tell us what does conspiracy mean? Just type in the word conspiracy. And the first thing you'll get is the quotation uh, from the dictionary, the wiktionary. Uh, a secret plan by a group to do something unlawful or harmful, and use in a sentence, in a sentence, a conspiracy to destroy the government. <laughs> Interesting. Or the action of plotting or conspiring. They were cleared of conspiracy to pervert the court of justice. So conspiracy, of course, is a technical legal term. It is something that means that there were people conspiring to do something illegal or more colloquial, colloquially harmful or uh, unlawful, generally speaking. But, of course, it is never, ever used in that way, except in courts of law where people are actually charged and convicted on counts of conspiracy. It is always paired in popular discourse with the word theory, conspiracy theory, or you're a conspiracy buff, or something along those lines. And, of course, that always brings with it the added baggage of you're crazy. That's essentially what people mean when they say you're spouting a conspiracy theory. They mean you're a crazy person making up nonsense. And of course, that's just, again, that's not the actual definition of what we're talking about, but that's the meaning. And I think everyone understands that in this day and age. And it's been pointed out many times before. Let's point it out again. Of course, the weaponization of that phrase, conspiracy theory, did Really, uh, well, we can point a finger at a CIA document that was released in the wake of the Warren Commission report on the JFK assassination that was instructing its assets in the media and elsewhere to, uh, to talk about the critics of the Warren Commission report using language like conspiracy theory to weld in the mind of the public the idea that anyone who wants to talk about conspiracy theories around the JFK assassination is just a crank. And look, point them to the big voluminous 24 volumes or whatever it is of the Warren Report Commission, Warren Commission Report. That's all you need to know about what happened. Uh, now, some, if you go to Metabunker, those types of places online, the skeptic places, they'll try to frame, they'll straw man that argument by saying, no, conspiracy theory has been a phrase that's been used. We can point to 1896 and this document when it was used. No one is saying the CIA literally invented the words conspiracy theory. They weaponized those words. And from the point that the, it appeared in that now released CIA document, 1035 dash 960 off the top of my head. I'm not sure about that. Look it up. Um, since the time that they weaponized that phrase in the 1960s, you can see its use in the media and then in the general public rocket from there. And everyone in the audience, I'm sure, to our conversation knows that that is a loaded phrase that's used to denigrate and disgrace what could be an interesting conversation. So 
when talking about a conspiracy, Neil deGrasse Tyson actually gave a pretty uh, general statement on all conspiracies on the Jim and Sam show. He says, don't get me wrong. The government's always up to something. The government's always trying to keep a secret. The question is, will they succeed in keeping the secret of stockpiling it? Look how much we knew about President Clinton's genitalia. If there was ever a state secret, it would have been what he does with, you know, where he puts it. All right. But there it was on TV. So my question to you is what are some proven conspiracies that we can point to? Yes, but let's also point out the logical fa fallacy in that line of argument, because, of course, the skeptics, the self-appointed skeptics who are the voice of reason, who always and forever um, unquestioningly believe what the government tells them about any major event, um, will always point to that. Oh, but look, you can't even keep a secret between three people, even a minor secret. Imagine uh, the, the kind of conspiracies we're talking about that could never possibly happen. And look, anytime we hit, there was a conspiracy, it always leaks out, you know, Monica or whatever or anything they want to point to. The logical fallacy there is, of course, we cannot say, we cannot point to the examples of conspiracies that were successfully covered up because they were successfully covered up. We can't possibly disprove their proposition that every conspiracy of any worth has been unveiled because we don't know. That's the whole point of this. So it is a logical fallacy to use that line of argument, but you're right, there have been many important conspiracies that were covered up for a very long time. And yes, obviously we know about them now because they do come out after decades, but not that does not mean that every single conspiracy does necessarily come out in documented form. But ones that we can point to uh, include, well, I did a, a, an article uh, on my website several uh, months ago, five conspiracy theories that became conspiracy facts that pointed to some examples of this from history. For example, the idea that uh, governments have used or have at least attempted to use mind control in experiments on their populations. Oh, crazy conspiracy theory until the 1970s in the church committee hearings where it started to come out some of the details about MK Ultra, which now, of course, has entered, I think, the popular vernacular. A lot of people have heard about this program at the very least, where they were doing things like giving LSD to people to see how they could use that in mind influence operations and things like this. Um, but of course, the program was much more extensive than the little nuggets that that uh, came out in the church committee hearings. And we have windows into that from the documents that have been released, talking about some of the various sub-projects and other things that they were working on, but a lot of it redacted information, a lot of documents destroyed. So we don't know the full scope and extent of it, but people who are interested in it might be interested in a recent TrueStream media documentary called The Minds of Men, now available for free viewing on, on GooTube or elsewhere, uh, I think almost four hours, where they go into a lot of the, the type of research that was being done that we can point to specifically with documents. Uh, we can talk about other types of conspiracies. For example, the conspiracy that uh, governments sometimes conspire to create a casus belli for a war, to create the situation where people will want to go to war. We have, again, numerous examples of that, including, of course, uh, McNamara uh, conspiring uh, with LBJ in 1964 during the Gulf of Tonkin crisis to basically lead the public along into what became the Vietnam War, or what's, what we think of as the Vietnam War, which we now know, of course, was based on an incident that did not happen. 
And we now know that they knew at the time that it did not happen from NSA uh, documents that, that have come out in the intervening decades, as well as McNamara's own admission uh, in a documentary, Fog of War, that was released a couple of decades ago. Oh, yeah, well, we, you know, it seemed like there was actually no Vietnamese torpedo boat there. Oh, oops. Oh, well, you know, however many millions of Vietnamese, and no, oh, 50,000 Americans dead, but oops. Um, and, of course, one of the most blatant and obvious and crazy examples from recent decades was the first Gulf War in 1990-91, uh, where the absolutely incredible scene played out. I'm sure people in the audience might be familiar with it, but if you're not, please look up the testimony of Naira who testified to the Congressional Human Rights Congress in October 1990 that as a young nurse, as a young Kuwaiti girl, she had volunteered at a hospital in Kuwait and had watched armed Iraqi troops, quote, take the babies out of the incubators, took the incubators and left the children to die on the cold floor, she said, crying. And that was not just a little sound clip. That was used as a justification for the U.S. Uh, involvement in the first Gulf War for many months. It was cited numerous times, including by President Bush on at least two or three uh, occasions. Uh, and it turned out after a subsequent Canadian Broadcasting Corporation investigation of all things, Naira, who was, of course, they were protecting her identity because of fear of reprisal for her family back home, turned out to be Naira Al-Saba, the daughter of Saud al-Saba, the Kuwaiti ambassador to the United States. And her entire testimony had been written for her, literally scripted by a PR firm, Hill & Knowlton, hired by the Kuwaiti government in order specifically to help sell the Gulf War. None of this is conspiracy theory. All of it is documented conspiracy fact. There are many, many more examples. One other one I was recent, re just reading about just the other day, speaking of true stream media, uh, Melissa Dykes had an article up on that's up, posted up on activistpost.com uh, reading about some of the, the experiments that we now know the government has performed illegally on, um, on various uh, people in different situations. Of course, we know about the atomic soldiers and things like that. Well, of course, they always experiment on soldiers and new vaccines and things. But uh, one experiment that was particularly disgusting, I mean, truly galling, uh, I can't remember the time frame of this. It was at least half a century ago. But anyway, uh, they, they were testing. I, it was part of the Atonic, Atomic Energy Commission or, or whatever branch of government uh, handles that type of testing. They recruited a bunch, uh, several dozen school children uh, with the, the offer, you're going to get, we're going to put you in this special club because we want to research nutrition. So we're going to feed you a quart of milk every day. You'll get some oatmeal. Um, we'll take you out to, you know, a baseball game. You know, you can be part of this club. And so they recruited these children for this experiment and fed them, but forgot to mention that, oh yeah, they're feeding them radioactive substances to test the health effects that it would have on them. They literally did not even tell this. Of course, this came out and in the 1990s, you can watch it on, again, on YouTube if you want to, uh, Bill Clinton had to give a press conference saying, yes, well, we've done numerous experiments that not only were egregious by today's standards, but by the standards of the time, um, where they had to admit, yeah, we've been doing these types of tests unwittingly on the public for a very long time. I could go on and on and on and on, but... I mean, these are a few examples of the ways that people do conspire. Pe people in positions of power conspire and can effectively keep these conspiracies covered up for decades. Sure. Uh, some of the ones that I had written down were national security, presidential, 
uh, I'm sorry, NSPD-9, testimony of U.S. Secretary of Defense Donald Rumsfeld, saying that on September 4th, 2001, the plan to invade Afghanistan took place. The Guardian published an article, Bush team agreed to agreed plan to attack Taliban day before 9-11, according to Colin Powell and Richard Clark. Uh, Operation LAC and Operation Dew were the Cold War experiments where they were spraying chemicals in St. Louis to test because they might have to use them on the Russians. We also have the use of Agent Orange spraying a chemical in the sky during Operation Ranch Hand in Vietnam. Uh, the Telegraph published a story titled Princess Diana Diary, in which her diary is actually reading, this particular phase in my life is most dangerous. My husband is planning an accident in my car. Break failure and serious head injury in order to make the path clear for him to marry Tiggy. CBS, September 4th, 2002. Plans for Iraq attack began on 9-11. Rumsfeld said, pin this on not only Saddam, but Osama bin Laden, before any of the evidence came out. We have the McCullen memo, which came out in 1999. Talk about a cover-up. Listing eight ways they could get the Japanese to attack, seven of the eight uh, were fulfilled. Also, an article brought to uh, my attention by Ralph Rako, January 2nd, 1972, the New York Times War Entry Plans. FDR says to Winston Churchill, everything was to be done to incite an incident. We have disposition matrix, Barack Obama's secret kill list. Page 432 of the Colonel House Intimate Papers published by Yale has a conversation between him and Sir Edward Gray talking about the sinking of the Lusitania before it happened. We have James Clapper lying about NSA collecting data in front of Congress. We also have Clapper lying about spying on Trump before the election. We have the FBI alcohol poisoning program between 1926 and 1933, killing 10,000 people on Snopes. If you look this up, it'll say it's a mixture of truth and falsehood. Yes, they did the poisoning, but they didn't intend to kill anybody. Uh, we have John P. Holdren, page 837 of his book, Ecoscience, co-written with Paul Ehrlich, saying there exists ample authority in the Constitution in which population growth can be regulated. It has been concluded that compulsory population laws, even including requiring compulsory abortion, could be sustained, uh, blah, blah, blah. National Security Memorandum 200, published by Henry Kissinger in 1924, targets 13 countries for coercive population control measures. 1960, the Cuban project in Operation Mongoose planned to uh, assassinate Fidel Castro because of the 1953 study from the CIA, a study in assassination. The number of coups that existed, 1953, Operation Ajax in Iran, 1954, Operation Washtub and PB success in Guatemala. 1961, Eisenhower says to Alan Dulles, assassinate Patrice Lumumba in the Congo. 1963, South Vietnam coup. 1973, Operation Condor. 2013, Timber Sycamore to overthrow Assad. And there's a ton more. COINTELPRO, Operation Mockingbird, FBI MLK suicide letter, The Guardian, May 8th, 2012. Underwear bomber was working for the CIA. Wesley Clark's discussion with Amy Goodman on Democracy Now! And Operation Northwoods and the Tuskegee Syphilis Experiment, an infamous and unethical clinical study conducted between 1932 and 1972 by the U.S. Public Health Service, wholly or well. The purpose of this study was to observe the natural history of untreated syphilis. The African-American men in the study were told they were receiving free health care from the United States government. My question uh, to you. Any response to any of those, by the way? Did I get anything wrong?
I think you might have said a 1924 or when it should have been 1974. I don't know. But but yes, I mean, I, I know, uh, I think every single one of the stories you were referring to there. And uh, I, I hope people will take the time to look some of those up if they aren't familiar with them. But uh, while you were talking, just one that came to mind while we're talking about overthrowing governments or attempts to overthrow governments, of course, uh, even in recent years, we've seen State Department machinations against the, uh, the Cuban government, uh, including attempts to, uh, there was one, uh, create a fake social media network that uh, they were going to use to, uh, to spy and, and implant uh, anti-government messages. And of course, a funding actual uh, dissident hip hop artists <laughs> in Cuba in an attempt to try to, I guess, uh, incite some sort of rebellion, which kind of backfired because once it was found out, all of those dissident hip hop artists got expelled from the country. <laughs> so, which uh, groups and or persons uh, are provably involved in conspiracies? It's sort of easy to get like this. They are doing it. Well, uh, are there actual people or groups we can point to and uh, look at? Yes. I mean, there, there certainly are. And I think uh, one easy way into this story, an easy uh, identifiable way into this story is the creation of the national security state through the National Security Act of, I believe, 1947, which essentially, essentially formalized and institutionalized and, and baked into the cake the intelligence agency structure that, uh, of course, includes the CIA, but all of the other intelligence agencies um, that, uh, that people may or may not know about at the same time. Um, and that was essentially the formalization of a secret deep state. Let's raise the uh, the idea of that, because, of course, there is some sort of institutional process that does take place regardless of changeover in administration. There are these agencies that are operating undercover that, of course, there's congressional oversight that we're all supposed to be happy with, except for the fact that uh, some of the people who have this congressional oversight occasionally come out and say, well, we can't see this and we're not allowed to know that and we're not allowed to look at this document and they won't tell us that. And of course, uh, not many people uh, tend to listen to those voices. Um, so I think that's one way of the handle into this is to look at the intelligence agencies as essentially the formalization of a deep state structure where there are operations taking place that you and I have no, no, uh, only the dimmest conception of a clue uh, about, even given the amount, the volumes of evidence that have come out over the decades about the different act actions that they've done, like uh, uh, PB Ajax or you know, th those types of operations, we can now look with a hindsight of 70 years and go, oh yes, they were doing that in the 1950s. But do we really have a grasp on what they're doing in 2019? Of course not. We do know that a surprising number of front companies are used by agencies like the CIA uh, to carry out their operations. And we have, again, windows into that. A lot of aviation companies turn out to have secret CIA ties that only come out, uh, again, decades after the fact. And we can look at Air America and things like that, uh, shipping the, uh, the heroin out of the Golden Triangle um, during the Vietnam War era. So there's, there's, there's this, uh, again, so much of that that we can point to as intelligence agencies operating as part of this deep state structure. Um, I think another fruitful way of looking at it is to understand intelligence agencies as they have uh, formed into establishments, institutional structures in the late part of the 20th century, uh, really were outgrowths of uh, 
institutions, institutions loosely defined that already existed. I mean, of course, there was naval intelligence and Office of Strategic Services and things like this forerunners to the current CIA. And of course, MI5, MI6, whatever the British equivalent was, uh, was called back in the early 20th century, was a forerunner to a lot of the, uh, the American counterparts that sprung up after the First World War. Um, but they themselves are outgrowths of secret societies that have existed for centuries. And we know about some of those secret societies like Skull and Bones, for example, at Yale gets a lot of attention because a lot of CIA, uh, the CIA was founded and formed by a lot of people who just happened to be Skull and Bones members. Uh, what is the connection there? Well, obviously intelligence agencies are kind of the institutional face of secret societies that have existed for a very long time. The whole point, of course, of secret societies is not necessarily, although there is occultic mumbo jumbo and whatever going on and lying in coffins and telling your secrets kind of thing. But essentially, I, these are groups of closely knit people who have a vested interest in maintaining a secret together uh, because of whatever, whatever goods they have on you or whatever happens in those those uh, the, the dungeons underneath Yale um, are, are a way of cementing a type of uh, a close knit group together that can then use its power and influence to um, to get these types of people into positions of power. Of course, back in 2004, quite famously, we had a Skull and Bones versus Skull and Bones election. Pick either side, a Skull and Bonesman is going to be the president of the United States. Um, that's the kind of thing that should be should be a lot more, it should get garner a lot more attention than it does in the establishment media if we were to expect that the establishment media was that was not in on this conspiracy. But of course, that's the other level of it, which you did gesture to in your speech where you were talking about Operation Mockingbird, another one of the things that was uh, that was uh, came out during the church committee hearings in the 1970s. Oh yeah, the CIA, yeah, it has been involved in the media for, for many decades. And and you, you, the television executives and newspaper executives, yes, we have worked with the intelligence uh, offices and there are agents who have planted stories in our media. And I, all of this came out, again, this is not, not news, um, but of course, in the 1970s, when this came out, the CIA said, promise we won't do it again. Uh, we all know what that actually means. But so it, it isn't easy to identify uh, specific put it put a name on it because it is so there are so many different branches to this um but we can look at i think the intelligence agencies as just the first level the first order the most obvious face of this deep state secret society institutional structure that has really existed for centuries in different forms but has taken on an institutional form in the latter half of the 20th century so if I'm pretty intrigued by some of this stuff and I want to start reading some books, what are some books that uh, you would recommend to someone uh, on uh, proven conspiracies? So whereas we might have someone giving sort of their understanding of how the world works, what are some books uh, you'd recommend to someone on proven conspiracies? I would recommend authors like, uh, hold on. There goes that, a little bit of live production for you. Um, uh, authors like Peter Dale Scott, who uh, is a, a, a very thorough researcher who does a lot of um, uh, deep research into things, scholarly research. Uh, Peter Dale Scott has written on the American deep state. He's written on 9-11. He's written on JFK as deep events. Uh, deep state, of course, has become kind of a term that's used often in the, in the media uh, in recent years. But has a longer pedigree than this. And Peter Dillis Scott was one of the people who was introducing this concept in the English language anyway. It's really kind of a Turkish 
um, idea that came out in the 1990s of, of the deep state. But uh, Peter Dale Scott has been writing about that for decades now uh, in the English context. And uh, I mean, it really depends on what we're going to talk about. But of course, I, recently I've been talking about World War One, the World War One conspiracy, quite uh, quite specifically on my podcast, uh, uh, CorbettReport.com slash WWI. And for that, I was talking um, a, a lot about Jim uh, uh, Jim McGregor and Jerry Doherty's book on hidden history and prolonging the agony, talking about the the groups that were conspiring on that subject. Um, uh, uh, again, whatever I'm reading at the time uh, tends to become the, the sort of thing that I'm looking at. Right now, I'm interested in uh, psychological warfare and psychological operations. Um, and on that note, I'm reading an interesting book at the moment called Resisting Illegitimate Authority by Dr. Bruce Levine, uh, talking about the pathologization of uh, dissent, essentially, how uh, governments can and have historically and would continue to to this day try to uh, psychopathologize people who uh, go against the system and this is of course nothing new but it, it it's it's been ongoing for a long time i'm reading about psychic uh, it's not psychic psi warriors the idea of uh, tavistock institute and others engineering society those types of things again there are a million different things that i could cite here but uh, those would be some good places to start and um, I'll also, while I'm at it, I'll, I'll point people to the Phoenix program by Doug Valentine, Douglas Valentine, who, uh, I have interviewed about this book, um, an extremely in-depth, extremely interesting story about how, um, psychological warfare and other types of all, all out total, uh, uh full spectrum warfare was used in, uh, Vietnam and really honed, not specifically about Vietnam itself, but as a tool that has been used in counterinsurgency operations ever since, and was even recently in recent years being floated um, by people as a, well, maybe in Afghanistan, instead of this war thing, why don't we just do counter uh, counterinsurgency program? Like, oh, the Phoenix program. So this this keeps rearing its ugly head and it's important for people to understand this history. Again, I mean, again, you just cite a topic and I, you know, there are books here that, that have relevance. One of uh, the uh, members of the Phoenix program was a man named John DeCamp, uh, according to an interview that he did, who wrote this book, The Franklin Cover-Up, one of the books that I recommend. Another one is America's Secret Establishment by Anthony Sutton that I like to recommend. Another is Proofs of a Conspiracy by John Robison, as well as The Deliberate Dumbing Down of America by Charlotte Thompson Iserbeet. You talk about... Uh, Actually, sorry, while I'm at it, just because it's it's obviously a, an when people think conspiracy theory, this is maybe and as a, as we were talking about with that CIA document, this is the the case that a lot of people talk about. Crossfire by Jim Mars, an incredibly uh, good book, uh, tons and tons of documented evidence in here. Um, JFK is one of those contentious issues. Now five decades of research have been going on into it, so a lot of people have their own their own pet angles on it and what have you. But Crossfire is at least a good book for people who are getting into that JFK space um, to try to get a handle on the overwhelming amount of evidence that something other than Lee Harvey Oswald killed uh, JFK. Uh, okay, well, I'll have to have you on again so we could talk about Gerald Posner's book, uh, Case Close. Uh, yeah. 
sometime in the future. So you talk about, uh, this is the final question I uh, wanna go over. You talk about uh, pathologizing people who are uh, anti-authority or who question things. Uh, Michael Shermer has actually done us a kind service in this book, The Believing Brain. See, all those things we mentioned before, those proven, no, it, it, it's a psycho, it's a psychological uh, di disability you and I have. Uh, why do people believe in highly improbable conspiracies? What happens basically is their pattern detection filters are wide open. They uh, attempt to make meaningful patterns out of random events. He then cites this picture of him talking to a guy at uh, Daily Plaza. So, so he's going, so he can beat really bad arguments. Congratulations. He later cites some people on Reddit regarding 9-11 truth. How do you respond to people who attempt uh, not to uh, address the facts or the operations you're actually listing, but attempt to say, no, no, no I'm going uh, to get all of that out of the way. And instead of addressing it, you have uh, a psychological deficiency. I'm curious uh, what your thoughts are on uh, that sort of Michael Shermer thing. Yeah, well, I, I can address Shermer in particular because he's a particularly egregious example of this, this so-called spectic, sorry, I can't even say it, septic tank, skeptic, who uh, is uh, who holds themselves up on a cloud that they're the voice of reason and all these conspiracy theorists can all be lumped, lumped together with everything, everything that he doesn't like. So I've talked about him numerous times, perhaps most notably in episode 221, Reclaiming Skepticism, where I looked at this this skeptic phenomenon and how they, they all seem quite credulous about government uh, conspiracies. But uh, yet Shermer's particularly bad at that. And uh, I, I, I've noted a couple of times, and I will continue to note, uh, just this incredibly atrocious article he wrote on the uh, JFK uh, assassination that was just one big logical fallacy. My day in Dealey Plaza, why JFK was killed by a lone assassin, which, spoiler, boils down to the fact that he was there and he sat, he stood there in the spot where JFK got shot and he looked up and he could see that window and it was an easy shot. Therefore, case closed, it was Hoswald acting alone. Like, it proves nothing. It is, it, 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 it's the most ridiculous thing for this man of reason and science to point to. But anyway, uh, yes, The Believing Brain is um, one of those books. I, I did read um, why people believe weird things, but it was seven or eight years ago. I wish I had my notes from it because he goes through all these logical fallacies and then proceeds to commit them all when he's talking about conspiracies. One that is particularly important, I'll quote from The Believing Brain. He writes, mysteries, magic, myths and monsters, the occult and the supernatural, conspiracies and cabals, the face on Mars and aliens on Earth. Bigfoot and Loch Ness, ESP and Psy, UFOs and ETIs, OBEs and NDEs, JFK, RFK, and MLK Jr., alphabet conspiracies, altered states and hypnotic regression, remote viewing and astro projection, Ouija, bar Ouija boards and tarot cards, astrology and palm reading, acupuncture and chiropractic, repressed memories and false memories, talking to the dead and listening to your inner child, it's all an obfuscating amalgam of theory and conjecture, reality and fantasy, nonfiction and science fiction. Cue dramatic music, darken the backdrop, cast the sh shaft of light across the host's face. Trust no one, the truth is out there, I want to believe. So you'll notice in a passage like that, he takes a wide spectrum of things and lumps them all together under this one category. Oh, it's all just conspiracy theory, it's all just conjecture. It's all nonsense and we can dispel it all and watch, I'll show you how. And he goes and proceeds to attempt to do that throughout the book um, in increasingly laughable ways when he gets to 
issues that really matter, um, like 9-11. Uh, and of course, he goes through a lot of the, the standard debunking talking points about 9-11 that have themselves been debunked many times. But interestingly, he says specifically, quote from the book, belief should depend on evidence for each individual claim. Yes, bravo, 100%, which is, of course, why we shouldn't lump every single one of those things that you just talked about into one big basket and dismiss it all at the wave of the hand. But more, more to the point, I invite people to go to watch Shermer's recent appearance on the Joe Rogan Experience podcast where he was talking about JFK. And Joe Rogan was attempting to at least bring up some of the interesting pieces of evidence that point to maybe this wasn't Oswald or maybe it wasn't acting alone. Like, for example, the magic bullet. And... Shermer, after a couple of attempts to basically derail that that uh, that line of thought, oh, let's not, you know, uh, well, yeah, but it it, it was it, it looked like it could have hit bone. No, it didn't. <laughs> I I fired a many bullets. I know what it looks like. No, no, it, it, maybe it could have. And when he couldn't deflect the topic well enough, he said, well, let's not get lost in the weeds. Uh, people want to just throw out uh, anomalies and say that that there thereby this proves that or something. No, that is the whole point. Every claim needs to depend on evidence, exactly as Shermer said. But when in when uh, evidence that doesn't quite fit into his narrative comes in, oh, oops, oopsie. Uh, well, well, let's not talk about that. That's getting into the weeds. <laughs> what spoken like a true skeptic, right? Well, Michael Shermer was actually caught lying on tape calling a Holocaust revisionist, David Cole, a racist. David called him online and said, did you lie about this? He goes, yeah. And then Cole released it. But Shermer's a fraud. He responded to Joe Rogan by saying, yeah, there's a joke. Guy goes up, says, God, who killed Oswald? God goes, Os or who killed Kennedy? Uh, God goes, Oswald. And he acted alone. And the guy goes, this goes higher than I thought. <laughs> okay. I've, I'm sorry, I have one final question for you. It'll take two seconds to answer. I want you to name one nonfiction book, if you could get everyone in the world to read, last time you gave me a fiction one. Think of one fiction book you would have everyone in the world read while I read uh, this quote right here. Some even believe we are part of a secret cabal working against the best interests of the United States, characterizing my family and me as internationalists and conspiring with others around the world to build a more integrated global political and economic structure. One world, if you will. If that's the charge, I stand guilty and am proud of it. David Rockefeller, page 405. Finally, A New Freedom by Woodrow Wilson. Since I entered politics, I have chiefly had men's views confident confided to me privately. Some of the biggest men in the United States in the field of commerce and manufacture are afraid of somebody, afraid of something. They know that there is a power somewhere so organized, so subtle, so watchful, so interlocked, so complete, so pervasive that they had better not speak above their breath when they speak in condemnation of it. James Corbett, one nonfiction book for everyone to read. Oh boy. Uh, I hate this question because there's no book that can encompass everything and there's never going to be satisfactory. So I'll cop out and I'll say hidden history <laughs> because I, again, I've been talking about World War One, So I think everyone should read that if they want to know at least about the origins of the First World War. But I, I'll also supplement this with a nonfiction documentary because I think that's good. If I only could recommend one, it actually wouldn't be about 9-11 or JFK or any of those big conspiracy events. It would be children full of life. Look it up, watch it if you haven't yet done so, and thank me later. Finally, I am going to list my 10 favorite James Corbett videos. 
debunking a century of war lies, as I mentioned, all these uh, are linked in the description below already. Solutions, spontaneous order. Our leaders are psychopaths. 9-11 war games. Corbett confronts Bohemian Grove member. World War I conspiracy, parts one, two, and three. That only counts as one. Stupid conspiracy theorists. Chemicals aren't turning the frogs gay. Voluntarism and conspiracies. That's one him and I did together in, when, in uh, which we actually talk about children full of life. The secret life of Timothy McVeigh. Truth at last, the assassination of Martin Luther King. And meet Paul Ehrlich, pseudoscience charlatan. Those are my top tens. James, thank you so much for uh, taking the time uh, to uh, talk about such an important topic. Thank you for having me on. I do appreciate it.